This week we want to take a look at the second uh, chapter in the book of James, and uh, in that we get a picture of the Christian's response um, to the Word of God, what it should be like. And uh, in this section, James basically tells us that when we approach the Word of God, we should approach it with a, a humble response, a transforming response, and then lastly, a disciplined response. And so I'd like to have you do something unusual today, and I'd like to have you stand for the reading of God's Word. James chapter 1, 19 through 27. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word, and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror, and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues will deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. You may be seated. Father God, take the word of God and speak it forth into our lives today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you look at this text, there is one theme that uh, stands out. It's there consistently, and that is the Word of God. You find it in verse 21, 22, 23, and 25. So James is basically saying that the Christian life should be formed by a proper response to God's Word. That's how you and I should be formed as Christians, is by responding to the Word of God. Now, there are many other influences and things that help us grow as Christians, but the proper, the best way that you and I can be formed as Christians is by a proper response to God's Word, and that needs to be humble, it needs to be transforming, and it needs to be disciplined. So in regard to a humble response, um, first of all, to have a humble response to God's Word means that I will place God's Word above myself, above my ideas, above my opinions, above my interpretations, above my lifestyle. And so when God's Word says this, and I'm over here, and that's not the way I think, I have to elevate the Word of God, that's humbling. Because in arrogance, I like to think that my way of thinking is smarter than God's. And so humility says, I put the Word of God above myself. My own thinking, my own interpretations, uh, all of that kind of stuff, I put the Word of God first. 
And he says that we need to do three things. We need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to, be, uh, and slow to become angry. And, and all of that obviously applies to our personal lives. But it also, in, this, in the context of this passage, speaks to us about how we receive the Word of God. Um, we should be quick to listen to the Word of God, slow to speak about our own interpretation of the Word of God, and um, slow to become angry when the Word of God conflicts with my lifestyle or what I believe and all of that. So, let's talk about being quick to hear the Word of God. Being quick to hear the Word of God implies an attitude of eagerness to take in the Word of God. I want this. There are some people you just look forward to talking to. You're eager. You're quick to listen to them. That's the attitude that you and I need to have with the Word of God. We need to read it from all different kinds of angles. We need to read it, we need to listen to it, we need to memorize it, we need to meditate upon it, uh, we need to read it to put it into practice in our lives. There was the old Welsh um, preacher, uh, Roland Hill, that uh, lived until 1833, and he was a really old man, and he was visiting with a, a longtime friend at that point, and he said, well, his friend said to him, it's 65 years since I heard you preach your first sermon. And he said, I still remember parts of what you said in that first sermon 65 years ago. And, and so Hill asked him, well, what part of the sermon do you remember? And the friend said, well, you said that some people, when they hear a sermon, they are very squeamish about the delivery of the preacher. And then you said, supposing you went to hear, hear the will of one of your relatives read, and you were expecting to get an inheritance, a legacy from this relative. You would hardly think of criticizing the manner in which the lawyer delivered what the will said about you. Instead, your whole attention would be on what the lawyer um, had to say, what was, whether anything was left for you or not. And he said, that is the way you said that we are to hear the gospel and the word of God. To be people that are just eager to hear what God has to say because there is an inheritance in the word of God for us. So we should be quick to hear. That's part of humility before the word of God, being quick to hear what the word has to say. And then he says that you and I are to be slow to speak when receiving the word of God. Sometimes we are too eager to expound as an authority on God's word. And arrogance raises its head again, and we, we want to show off how much we know, and that kind of thing. And the, the warning to teachers in James chapter 3, verse 1, it applies here. He says, teachers, my brothers, be careful, um, because you will be judged more strictly as teachers of the word of God. Um, so James is saying we are to humble ourselves before the word, and that means that if we're quick to listen, we take time for the word of God to marinate in our lives. We take time for us to become students of the word of God be before we start speaking for the word of God into the lives of other people. We seldom learn very much when we're talking. 
And so that's part of what he's saying here is be slow to speak. Make sure that you've taken in the word of God before you start uh, speaking it into the lives of other people. Asking questions about the Word of God is far better than spouting off our own interpretations about the Word of God. So we are to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. The Word, the Word of God, will confront us in how we live and how we think. And anytime somebody confronts us about how we live or how we think, or our ideas, we tend to get angry or defensive. Kent Hughes, who does a lot of writing on um, Christian character in men, said an angry spirit is never a listening or teachable spirit. A humble response, on the other hand, is always submissive to God. Now James chapter 1 verse 20 says, uh, tells us that anger does not result in righteousness. Now, the whole purpose of the Word of God is to result in righteousness in us. So if we respond in anger to the Word of God, obviously the Word of God cannot do what it wants to do in our lives. It never helps anything. Anger never accomplishes anything in personal relationships, certainly not righteousness. Um, It gives the devil a foothold, and it does the very same thing in regard to the Word of God. When we read the Word of God, I have to receive it instead of getting angry and defensive about what the Word is saying. I need to stop and try to understand it and apply it to my life. James goes from that, though, to saying something that really almost offends us. (laughs) Because the next thing he says when he says, be slow to anger, then he says, And get rid of all the moral filth and the evil that is prevalent in your lives. And who is he talking to here? Is he talking to pagans? No. He is talking to Christians. He's talking to Jews who have come to know Christ. Friends, if the word of God hasn't convicted you in a while... You are either no longer reading the Word of God or you have become so arrogant the Word of God is not able to speak to you. There is moral filth in me, there is moral filth in you, and there is evil that is prevalent in us. And until the day we die, the Word of God will have some corrective measure to speak into our lives. And you will not get to the place in your spiritual life that the Word of God cannot correct, cannot rebuke, cannot train in righteousness. And if you ever think you're at that place, you are in a horribly dangerous place in your life. The Word of God is powerful, and it is effective, and it is a change agent, and it will confront, and it will tend to make you angry sometimes because it will call for change in your life. And it will call for change in my life. And it, it, God intends to do that in my life till the day I die. John says, 1 John, if we think we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
So first of all, he says, do not become angry at the word of God because it will not change your life if you're angry at it. You need to let the word of God convict you of moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent within us. James says the word will challenge us. Then he says that the word has been planted in us. It is, um, it produces fruit. Remember the parable that Jesus spoke. The parable of the four types of soil and, and, and the farmer went out and threw seed on the four types of soil and some it plant, it, it resulted in a good harvest. It was good seed and on down there was the rocky soil and the, uh, the weedy patch and all of that. And, and so every one of us, we need to make sure that we are good soil because the Word of God wants to produce fruit in us. Um, but we have to um, let it take root. We have to fertilize it. We have to weed it and let it produce a, a, a crop in us. So the Word of God will challenge us. It will produce fruit in us. And lastly, James says in that passage that the Word of God will save us. The good news about the Word of God is that it saves us. Without the Word of God, none of us will see heaven. The Word of God, we are lost without it, without the Word. And so we need the Word and we need to understand that without it, we are lost. So there is a humble response to the Word of God that you and I must always have in our lives. Secondly, in the second paragraph there, um, starting with do not merely listen to the word, James tells us that you and I must have a transforming response to the word. Now, um, I audited a class or two um, through my years in, uh, I think, seminary, um, just took some extra classes that I really wanted, but I didn't have time in my schedule because I already had a full load. But before I left, I wanted to you know, get a couple of other classes that I really wanted, and I just couldn't work them in over the three years I was there. And so I audited them. And what that means is that I got to sit in on all the lectures and hear all of it, but I didn't have to read my textbook, and I didn't have to take tests, and I didn't have to do daily assignments and all of that, and it was awesome. But I'll guarantee that I didn't learn as much taking those classes and auditing them as the full credit classes. The Greek word, when he says, do not merely listen to the word, is the word from which we get our English word audit. Do not merely audit the word of God. Take full credit. (laughs) Read it. Do the homework. Take the test, apply it to your life. Do the hard work. Don't just read the Bible for the sake of checking it off. I read my three chapters today. Don't just do that. He says, don't merely listen to the word. Apply it to your life. Don't merely audit the word of God. And he says, because if you do, you deceive yourself. Now, it is one thing to be deceived by Satan. Adam and Eve were deceived by Satan. It is quite another thing to be deceived by ourselves. 
and it's a lot less obvious. We begin to justify ourselves because, well, we've been exposed to the Word of God, but we haven't been changed by the Word of God. We haven't allowed the Word of God to um, be put into practice in our lives. And James uses the illustration of a mirror. And, and in that illustration, he says, you know, a quick glance at a mirror is kind of like reading your Bible to get your daily quota, but not to profit from it. Um, you know, so somebody looks at a mirror, takes a glance and walks away and doesn't do anything about, oh, I need to comb my hair or brush it or I need to brush my teeth. Um, if you just take a quick glance and walk away and ignore it and forget it, that's not doing any good. And secondly, he says, then you walk away and you forget what you saw in the mirror. And that's kind of like forgetting all about what you read in the Bible. There are some mornings when I'm reading my Bible and I get down through several paragraphs and all of a sudden I really I don't know, have a clue what I have been reading. <laughs> that's just part of you know, the human, human experience. And I have to backtrack and I go back and, okay, this is what I've been reading. And I, I retrace my steps and, and I'm getting better about trying to figure out, okay, now what do I need to do with what I have read and all of that? So he says, don't just forget about what you have read. And then he says, thirdly, we need to obey what we have read. We need to put something into practice. Now, there are some times when you're reading your Bible, you can't do everything, and you can't remember everything for the last year that you've read that you should do, and you can't do all of that today. One of the, one of the wonderful things about Christian growth is God oftentimes has us focus on one thing at a time. And if you'll just focus on putting into practice what you read today and pulling one thing out of the scripture today and just focus on that today, it's amazing what God will do in your spiritual walk with that in your life. So he says, instead of just walking away, forgetting about it and not doing anything, he says we are to look intently into the word of God and change our lives according to it. And he talks about the Bible being the perfect law that gives freedom. And the reason for that is, is as John says, the word will set, the truth will set you free. And the Bible is the, it's what sets us free, but we have to obey it. Once we set, once we obey the word of God, it begins to set us free. Paul says to the young man, Timothy, he says, study to show yourself approved. Now that means, uh, Timothy, don't study just for the sake of building knowledge. Because what does Paul tell us about knowledge? Knowledge puffs up. We get big heads. But love builds up. It builds other people up. And so he says, he says to Timothy, don't just study just for the sake of knowledge, but study for the sake of application and for life change. Even the devil is full of knowledge. The devil knows anything that you and I know. But has it resulted in righteousness in his life? No, it hasn't, it hasn't changed. It hasn't transformed. So the key to, to working with the Bible in our lives is applying it and working with it on a daily basis and, and allowing it to change our life. Some Christians um, could 
kill you in a game of Bible trivia or Jeopardy. And at the same time, they can be hard and mean and cruel and all those kind of things because they're just unchanged. They, they, they've been in the Word, but the Word has not transformed who they are. We do not grow as Christians by hearing and studying the Bible and becoming full of knowledge. We learn by hearing and studying the Bible. That's what we do. We learn. We gain knowledge, which is important, but it's not the end game. The end game is that you and I grow and mature and let righteousness take root in our life. And we, how do we do that? We do it by doing the Word of God. And so that's what James is trying to say um, to us, is that there needs to be a, you know, when we approach the Word of God, we want to approach it for the sake of life change. And when I read the Word of God, I don't want to just learn something and stick it up here and let my head become big. I want to put it in here and find something in what I'm reading today that I can put into practice because it is in the challenge I'm putting it into practice that I really grow and have to lean on God to help me because there's a lot of things in the Word of God that I just can't do on my own. <laughs> I need God to help me in that area. The third thing that um, James tells us about the Word of God is that it needs to be disciplined. So there is the humble response to the Word of God. There is a transforming response to the Word of God. And then there is the disciplined response to the Word of God. Pure religion is not about ceremonies. It's not about knowledge. It's not about all of that kind of stuff. Pure religion practices God's Word in real life. And he gives us three areas that he says real religion impacts us in. It impacts us in speech. It impacts us in service. And it impacts us in separation from the world. So let's talk about the disciplined response to the Word of God in regard to our speech. James chapter 3 is, is the main text that, that he will address this in. But James chapter 3 says the tongue is, is, um, is a major test of our Christian walk. And if you and I are really going to be changed and righteous in our, our behavior, then our tongue has to be brought under control of the Holy Spirit. Um, and if it's not, then our religion is worthless. That's a pretty hard thing, and that's an area where all of us struggle. And so we have to continually work um, in that area of our life. There needs to be discipline in our speech, and we need to bring our speech under the control of the Holy Spirit, or all of our religion is worthless. Pure religion deals with our tongue. Secondly, he says that we are to be disciplined in service. Now, James speaks about orphans and widows in their distress. And he says, pure religion is this, that you care for them. Now, it's kind of interesting when you stop and think about, okay, James wrote this, and James is the stepbrother of Jesus. And perhaps more than any other gospel writer or um, Bible writer, he would have been very well aware of the need of orphans and widows. Now, there's a lot of debate in Christian circles as to whether 
The brothers of Jesus were from a previous marriage by Joseph um, before Mary, and so they would have been older, or whether they were younger, and they were the result of Mary and Joseph in union. Um, And it really doesn't matter to me. It doesn't matter to you which way it is. But regardless, here you have James, who has, um, you know, Joseph died when Jesus was a little older than 12 after he'd been to the temple. We don't hear anything more of Joseph. And so you have Mary, the mother of Jesus, who all of a sudden is a widow. And she has children at home. And um, they're not orphans in the proper sense of having no parents at all, but she was living in a culture that um, was very difficult. And so James says, pure religion. And I'm just guessing that James has some memories of some people who stepped in and who stepped up to the plate for Mary and for the family. When all of a sudden Joseph was gone. Dick Wynn of Youth for Christ spoke about practical religion that he was raised up in. And Dick Wynn has gone on to be with the Lord now. But um, He said, my mother always made two extra plates of food every evening for supper. And before I could eat my plate of food, I had to deliver those two plates of food to two elderly ladies that lived nearby. He said, I just grew up. That was just the evening habit of our lives. H.H. Lee, a story in our Daily Bread some time ago, said there was a coal company it had a high fence uh, around it where he worked. And there was a railroad nearby. And um, freight trains would come and go and pass by daily. And Lee began to notice that there was an elderly uh, lady that lived uh, next to that um, yard. And um, he said Lee noticed that the owner of that yard would go out and just throw chunks of coal over the fence. Uh, right along where that track was. And and so one day he asked um, the owner of that why he did that, and he had some compassion in his voice, and he said, well, there's a poor elderly widow that lives across the street, and he says, I know that her old age pension isn't sufficient enough to heat um, her house. And so she goes out, and she thinks she's going out behind the, you know, picking up coal from behind the old steam engine, Um, that fell off, and she thinks she's going out and doing that, and she's blind now in her old age, and and those old steam engines and the coal bends, those have been replaced by the diesel engines, and so he said, "I, I knew that when they got replaced, I had to provide coal for that lady, and he said, I just started throwing it over the fence. I have told you this before, but when my dad was killed when I was five, I have never forgotten the men in the church I grew up in. One of them had kids just a little bit older than me, and I remember a father-son deal that our church was putting on. And, you know, Eugene took, left his kids, and went and got me and took me to that father-son banquet. I remember two or three men that made it an attempt for the whole time I was growing up until I left for college. 
Every Sunday morning, they greeted us three boys and carried on a conversation with us. Every Sunday morning. It was the guys in the church I grew up in that gave me my first job. And when I didn't know how to do much, they trusted in me and worked with me and made fun of me. <laughs> you know, um, I have never been able to forget the godly impact of some of those men in my church. And they could have, they could have never even thought a thing about it. But as soon as my dad was gone, they never bragged about it. They never talked about it. Uh, I never heard them planning how they were going to take care of us, any of that. But I know it had to have happened behind the scenes. They did all kinds of things with us kids. Especially in those seven years before mom remarried. They did all kinds of things with us. But I don't remember them having conversations with all the other kids, but they, as soon as we got to church, they were honest. And they were talking to us about things in our lives and about the things of God and all of that kind of stuff. Those people had taken their religion and they had disciplined it for service to God. The third thing that uh, James tells us here is that we need to be disciplined in separation. We talked some about this yesterday in our in church membership class, which uh, we will do again uh, this Saturday from 1230 to, to um, 2 um, and finish that up. But um, talking about being disciplined in separation, you can't be of the world and minister to the world. Um, if I were to take a glass of water and open it up, a full glass, new glass of water, how many impurities would you allow me to dump in here before I could give it to you and drink? No, you'd probably want it when it was still sealed. You wouldn't want me to take a couple swallows. You wouldn't want me to dump stuff in it. You would want pure water. If that was your choice and you could get pure water as, as opposed to contaminated water, you wouldn't want any impurities in it. And James says that if we are to be in the world and we are to give a cup of cold water, we need to be able to give pure water that people actually want. We need to keep ourselves pure um, so that we can be living water to the world. So separation there doesn't mean isolation. It doesn't mean just not being involved in, in our culture and in our world. Jesus said that we are to be in the world and not of it. But to be there, to be separated, means that there is a difference about us, that we keep ourselves pure, that we don't contaminate ourselves so that we, when we go into the world, we can really and truly uh, make an impact uh, for the kingdom. So how do you respond to the word of God? Well, first of all, there needs to be a humble response. We need to be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. There needs to be a transforming response. We need to take the word of God as a full credit course and do the hard work that goes along with reading it. And then thirdly, we need a disciplined response in speech, in service, 
and in separation from the world.